if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you once again. Thanks for 10 o'clock. Thanks for joining us on this free-for-all Friday edition of The Authority. Six, the uh, sixth morning of the final month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Good stuff from Cuyahoga County GOP Chairman Rob Frost. Better stuff to come, only because he's really great at saying stuff. From our guest now, Larry Elder is the sage of South Central. You hear him every night, 7 to 10, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. Elder, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to have you. So Nancy Pelosi was called out by Jake Tapper. Larry, I want to start here and get your response to this. I think it's very clear now. I think it's so overwhelming that to ignore it would be derelict in our own duty. Uh, I can't answer for the Republicans. They have taken an oath to Donald Trump. So uh, just to uh, jump off of what Damilola asked, uh, uh, you, as you recall, no doubt, on the day you became Speaker of the House in January of this year, uh, you were asked about impeachment, and you said that it would have it would quote have to be so clearly bipartisan in terms of acceptance of it. But as you just noted, there are no Republicans in the House who support either the impeachment inquiry, and it appears as though none of them are going to support impeachment itself. Does this mean that you're failing to meet the standard that you set in January? No, I'm saying that the Republicans have failed to meet the standard of honoring their oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Are you willing to impeach President Trump even if there are no Republican votes in the House in favor of it? I've asked for the uh, writing of the articles of impeachment. Larry Elder, your response. Well, as my little brother used to say, Bob, busted. Clearly, <laughs> she is being hypocritical. Not only did she say that, Jerry Nadler said the same thing back in 1998 uh, about the uh, Richard Nixon impeachment. They've all said that. They assumed falsely that the evidence was so overwhelming that even Joe Sixpack would understand it and it moved the needle towards impeachment. It did not happen. The evidence is not there. People are unimpressed. And these professors, I thought, did a horrible job with the exception, of course, of Jonathan Turley. I mean, one of them uh, even is on videotape a few years ago saying, that she dislikes Donald Trump so much when she was in Washington, D.C., she crossed the street to avoid walking in front of a Trump hotel. I mean, honestly, not too much bias there. So obviously they're not meeting their own criteria. Uh, when there was the impeachment vote for Richard Nixon, it was 410 to 4 for the impeachment inquiry to go forward. For Bill Clinton, 
31 Democrats joined the Republicans for the impeachment inquiry to go further. As you know, not a single, single Republican in the House voted for the impeachment inquiry, not even Will Hurd, who is a critic of the president, uh, a guy in Texas who doesn't like even like the wall, even he said, okay, the call may have been bad, but it certainly wasn't impeachable. And this guy's lame duck. He has nothing to lose. He could easily come out in favor of impeachment. He hasn't done it. You can't get Will Hurd. You can't get anybody. And I don't think they're going to get anybody, Bob, even in the Senate to vote to convict. Even uh, Mitt Romney, I don't think, is going to vote to convict. So it's going to be zero in the House and zero in the Senate. It's not meeting the criteria set forth by Nancy Pelosi, not meeting the criteria set forth by the House Judiciary Committee, Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler. Larry, um, this is so blindly partisan, as you pointed out, that one of the professors, in fact, all of the professors have professed at some point or another profound disgust for President Trump, but, you know, especially the, uh, the professor from Stanford that you talked about. So their, their opinions, which is all they were called at Congress before to do is before the right. Judiciary Committee is just give their opinions. That's it. More witnesses who haven't witnessed anything. But, um, it, it, it's, it's one thing for them to come up there in such a blindly partisan way. It's another thing for anybody to even be focused on quote the call because the cries for impeachment began long before that phone call was made in fact as you know uh the washington post on uh, january 20th 2017 said the impeachment process has begun nancy i mean uh, maxine waters has been screaming for it for three years uh so has representative al green and and this is the true test of it larry and this is what i want to uh you to focus on if you can Al Green said yesterday, my hope is that we will expand this and take up additional issues, but I would also say this, a president can be impeached more than once, so we can do this. In other words, even if we fail on this one, which we believe we will, that's why he said this, we'll go at him again. We'll keep trying to impeach him, and if he wins another term, it's going to be four years of impeachments. Yeah, I don't normally use terms like this, Bob, but Al Green is an idiot. He's an absolute, total idiot. He's been wanting to impeach the president from day one because he thinks the president is racist. He wants to impeach President Trump because of President Trump's racism. Let's play that game. Uh, under Barack Obama, racist, racist, race relations deteriorated far, far sharply than they have under President Trump. In fact, the high point of race relations, meaning the number of whites who felt things were going well or pretty well, number of blacks who thought things were going well, pretty well, peaked during the administration of George W. Bush and cratered substantially during the administration of Barack Obama, largely, in my opinion, because he embraced things like the Black Lives Matter. He condemned the police. And let's draw a line between embracing Black Lives Matter and condemning the police. And those three black men who on social media admitted that they were inspired by Black Lives Matter, who murdered officers in New York, murdered officers in Dallas, murdered officers in Baton Rouge. Let's, let's, let's uh, play this game, Mr. Al Green. You want to get on somebody for racism? Let's argue that President Barack Obama made things worse and encouraged people to kill cops. How about that? He's a moron, but but you're right. They've been trying to get him from day one. Remember when Leon Panetta, uh, not Leon Panetta, John Podesta, the uh, campaign chairman of the Hillary campaign, writes an op-ed piece, Washington Post, right after the, the election, day after the election, urging Obama to convene a hearing about the Russian interference uh, and urging the electors not to certify the election. A quarter of the Democratic delegation didn't show up for his inauguration. A dozen didn't show up for his first State of the Union speech. They wanted to invoke the 25th Amendment, arguing that he was too crazy. Two-and-a-half-year investigation of collusion, an argument that he violated the Emoluments Clause. We can go on and on and on. So it's hard to take this whistleblower stuff seriously when they've been trying to convict him uh, on something, impeach him on something from day one. 
That is exactly right. And and tying the two things together now, the Al Green part and the Nancy Pelosi part that I first asked you about, you know, um, Al Green introduced articles of impeachment himself uh, right. uh, several times. Right. There, there have been uh, three or four introductions of articles of impeachment before the whistleblower stuff. And the other thing is See, Pelosi people said looking at the, she tabled the, the, double, the, the double standard, Bob. Hillary Clinton, 56% of people did not agree with James Comey and felt that Hillary should be prosecuted for violating the Espionage Act. That's a higher percentage of, than Americans who believe that Donald Trump should be impeached and removed from office. This is the double standard that people are looking at uh, on the Republican side and saying, I'm sorry, I don't care what you're saying about this whistleblower thing. You guys are hypocrites. You guys are phonies. It's about trying to get Trump by any means necessary. That is exactly what it is. Now, let's talk about why it is so important for them to get him. This is, uh, again, going back to Al Green, but this is an oldie but a goodie. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. We see job numbers, Larry, this morning. 266,000 jobs added in November, 48% higher than the 180,000 that had been forecast. The unemployment rate down to, again, a 50-year low of 3.5%, record low unemployment for African Americans and Hispanics. Uh, all the, the, the uh, daily new, a new record on a daily basis for the, uh, for the uh, stock market, which right. means everyone's 4Ks are getting fattened. Uh, Al Green's right. How could the American people possibly turn away from this president when everything that he has done has led to this 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 unfettered success because they couldn't care less about that they are worried about one big thing and one big thing only and that's ruth bader ginsburg they hate the idea that donald trump would very likely have one more at least one more supreme court pick they hate the idea that he's transformed some of these appellate courts uh with uh conservative judges so they couldn't care less about any of that other stuff it's all about power it's all about pushing their left-wing agenda and donald trump is in the way of that and they know they have not i mean you tell me because here comes bloomberg right he's he's into this thing now um they they simply do not have anybody on that stage and you can tell me your feelings about biden but they don't have anybody on that stage that they are confident can beat him in november because of the economic numbers that i just gave you and other things but especially the economy remember the you know it's the economy stupid um right they they don't have confidence that any of those people can get more votes in the electoral college in november of next year than than donald trump will that's why they have to remove the opportunity for the American people to vote for him by simply throwing him out. Agreed, but I don't. I don't feel it's because of the economy. I just feel that they feel that these candidates can't do it. Uh, during the 2008 election, according to that book called Game Change, Obama was frustrated at his. Uh, running mate Joe Biden, and said, quote, how many times is Joe Biden going to say something stupid, close quote. Obama tried to talk him out of running in 2016 against Hillary uh, successfully. Obama reportedly tried to talk him out of running in 2020. He's doing it anyway. And you have three top former Obama officials now endorsing Mayor Pete. Do you think these former Obama officials didn't have any conversation with the former president before they made their endorsements? That's clearly showing that Obama does not believe Biden has the ability to go all the way. Uh, let's hit Biden again real quick. Um, and, and I don't like whataboutism, but I'm just, I'm just, I have to ask you about this. You saw what happened at his town hall in Iowa. A gentleman uh, got up and asked him uh, about his uh, uh, support for his son or how he helped set up his son with that job with uh, Burisma in Ukraine, despite right. he not having any experience in the uh, energy industry, despite not speaking Ukrainian, how he's on this board, et cetera. You saw Joe Biden. He walked toward him like he was ready to start a bar fight. Uh, called yeah. him a damn liar. Called him fat. Uh, uh, you know, and, and berated, challenged him to a push-up push contest. Larry, if Donald Trump did that to a voter, 
on camera, walked up to somebody in such an intimidating fashion like he was ready to fight them, called him a damn liar, liar, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't they talk about Donald, Donald Trump not having the temperament for this job? It would, it would likely be one of the articles of impeachment. <laughs> How about when Joe Biden uh, gave that ridiculous explanation about uh, kids jumping on his legs and his hairy legs and all that? Oh, God. And did he not refer to black kids? I, I, I'm sure he did it in an endearing way, but did he, did he not refer to black kids as roaches? Can you imagine if President said that no matter what kind of smile he had on his face, what they, what they would be saying? It's a double standard. Larry, that's um, that's a question we've been kicking around here in our studios for for a few days now. D- because he he talked about having kids jump in his lap and rub, rubbing his leg hair and jumping up in his lap, and he said, "So I learned about roaches." I, right. I, I could not possibly make a connection. What is he talking about? Unless he's talking about the little black kids that he was referencing who liked his blonde hairy legs. I, what I, else could he have been talking about? Why, why, why would he suddenly use that term unless he's referring to these little black kids? And again, know. Joe Biden is not a mean-spirited racist guy. We know that. I'm just saying, no matter who uttered that expression, if it came out of the mouth of a Republican, um, out come the pitchforks marching on Washington. But Joe Biden, hey, it's just good old Joe. How come nobody has asked him what he meant by that? Mr. Biden, um, there's a clip from you in 2017 talking to a bunch of uh, of black voters, and, and, and you were talking about black kids, and then you mentioned the word roaches. Can you explain what that meant, sir? I want somebody, how come nobody's asking him that in town halls the- or in interviews? For the same reason that nobody's ever asked Hillary about the allegation made by Juanita Broderick, that Juanita Broderick was verbally intimidated by Hillary two weeks after she was allegedly raped by Bill Clinton. Not a single reporter has ever asked her about the allegation made by Juanita Broderick. I thought we were in the area of hashtag Me Too, yet no one's asked that question. So it's the same, it's the same thing. Larry Elder, the brilliant sage of South Central, thank you so much, my friend, for coming on and putting in overtime. Uh, I wish you the very best, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Have a good weekend, my friend. Thank you, Larry. Larry Elder, of course, who has Cleveland roots, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 1022. we got time for phone calls now, and I believe for the rest of the program, right? I think we're guest-free the rest of the way. Uh, so dial it up, 216-901-0945, Back after this. Ten twenty-seven. We got a short segment here before the bottom of the hour news. Then open phone lines for the rest of the uh, hour until the top of the hour. Let's go to Lisa, who's been waiting in Medina, and if she's calling from Medina, I bet this has something to do with Medina County friends and neighbors. Good morning, Lisa. <laughs> Good day. See how yes, I did that? I, I I put that together all by myself. <laughs> very good. Very good. Thank you. Hey, so I on? would love. I would love to invite the fine folks of Northeast Ohio to join us on December 14th. Um, it'll be our Christmas party, and we will have Peter Kersenauer speaking. You've got Kersenau back again? <laughs> I don't know why, but I think he likes us. <laughs> I, well, I, I know why, because you have great people there. And, uh, and I know why you want him, because he's such a great speaker. That's awesome. So next Saturday, not You're- tomorrow, but next Saturday, Kersenau is going to be uh, addressing Medina County Friends and Neighbors. And it's a Christmas party, too. Yes, yes. Spiking the egg and I just want to say, <laughs> well, we usually have mimosas, so, yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Go ahead. But um, the uh, message from our chairman in, in Cuyahoga County when Rob uh, spoke earlier today, fantastic. And I'm just so, so on board with what he said. And, you know, there, people are looking for leadership and, and uh, 
and ways to get involved and be energized and engaged. And all these groups, including McFan, is the way to do it. Um, if they're if they're not involved in their own county, you know, they can start at McFan. Um, we always have elected officials, uh, people running for office are there, so we can uh, talk and meet people. And I always encourage people to, you know, look at what openings are around you and and run for office. Um, yeah, it's right got to be hard. Think- you know, Rob Rob brought up um, that fact that people ask him all the time, is it tough being a GOP leader in, in Cuyahoga County, which is so deeply Democrat and blue? And he said no, and he gave the reasons why, but it's probably even tougher for somebody to run for office as a Republican in Cuyahoga County. Now, that's not to say that the, you know, the blue county is pervasive in every single city. So if you want to run for local office, you know, for the city council position or school board position or something like that, you might not necessarily face the same, you know, trouble, troubled road that Republicans do in bigger places. But I have to, I, you know, I, I agree with you and I agree with Rob. Encourage people to go because it's hard to get people to go and want to be a part of that, knowing what the, you know, the odds are, the uphill battle that you have. Yeah, right, right. So I encourage folks to, to join us on the 14th. We'll have some snacks and freebies, and there'll be books for sale. And, of course, the the best thing is Peter, of course. We can't wait to hear from him. And uh, he'll light a, a fire under everyone's butt. He, and he afterwards, will people will group together, get to know each other, and hopefully, you know, start working together. Um, the time to get people involved is always now. You don't wait for the election. You don't wait for the perfect time. All year round, every day, we've got to pull people over the fence if we're going to save this country. This is the very definition of grassroots organizations, uh, of very, very important organizations like Medina Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Kirsten, now next Saturday, the 14th, uh, as part of the Christmas party. Lisa, thank you so much. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. You got it. 10.30 now. New, uh, on uh, News is coming up now on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, i got more phone calls coming up. If you're not on hold, get on hold, and I will take your calls. We literally are guests for you the rest of the way. You decide where we go on AM 1420, The Answer. Fourteen twenty. The answer. Good Friday to you again. I wish you a uh, happy weekend. Hope you got good plans. Got a lot of really great events coming up this weekend, uh, personally, and uh, I really hope you do as well. We get closer and closer to Christmas, and uh, feeling good. I'm feeling good about the uh, about the direction this country is headed uh, economically because of our president. I'm feeling good about the jobless rate continuing to fall because of this president. I'm feeling good about the state of this union because of this president. The only thing that worries me is whether or not we have a Democrat party that is so completely driven to destroy all of the gains that this president has made, all in the quest for for, for unfettered power and control. That's the only problem. I, I, I'm going to tell you something. We are right now in a very important piece of history in which we are enjoying peace and prosperity. Now, I know we're sending 7,000 soldiers uh, to the Middle East to deal with the threat of Iran, uh, and that is something that we have to do. But 
the presence of our soldiers oftentimes is enough to put down any kind of threats that might be uh, might be made. We know that there are hundreds of uh, innocent uh, Iranian civilians that have been slaughtered uh, by the government there because they are protesting, trying to uh, trying to achieve uh, freedom in that uh, Islamic Republic. But generally speaking, we are at a time of peace. Uh, most of our problems with foreign relations and foreign, you know, uh, countries is personality related. We saw what happened at the NATO summit on uh, on Monday and Tuesday. We saw President Trump leave after some of the um, uh, some of the other world leaders were mocking him uh, behind his back. And this, of course, is because they wish they were him. They wish they were, <laughs> excuse me, the leader of the free world instead of just their little tiny corner of it. Um. The fact is the president is getting those member, member nations to pay more for security, which they are supposed to do, which is a part of the agreement uh, among the NATO nations. Uh, so many of them are falling short of their 2%. We are paying far too much for the world's security. The president is renegotiating those things with those nations, getting them to commit more of their money. All of this leading to, as I said, a real I don't want to say an unprecedented, but it's a really important part of our history in which we're enjoying peace and prosperity. The prosperity part is the emphasis here. Because of what we are doing uh, economically, the numbers we saw today are just a small little microcosm. But from a macro level, they are indicative of three years of growth, growth thanks to Trump economic policy. Promises made, promises kept. Lowering the taxes for all Americans. Lowering the taxes on small businesses. Lowering the taxes even on corporations. Why? Because of what you're seeing happen. He was right. Proof is in the pudding. Three, excuse me, three years of tax cuts. Three years of deregulation. Governments stopping their interference in private businesses' growth has led to an economic boom. More people being hired, making more money. And we're talking real jobs, not part-time jobs, the kind that Barack Obama uh, created when he was credited with, well, 150,000 jobs were created. Well, yeah, part-time jobs don't feed the bulldog. These are real jobs. These are full-time jobs. These are manufacturing jobs. That's why wages are growing. A 10-year high in wages. A 50-year high in unemployment. You know, 50-year best, I should say, because it's a 50-year low in terms of the actual employment rate at 3.5%. All of these things indicate this time of peace and prosperity, and we should be steamrolling toward a second term for the president. Let's keep the train going down the tracks, right? And instead of enjoying this peace and prosperity, instead of enjoying the rebuilding of our military, once again, reminding the world... Yes, we can be the most dominant superpower militarily. We just don't want to have to be. But we will always maintain that state of readiness, rebuilding it from the, uh, from the dis- destruction of it almost in the eight years, eight years of Obama military cuts. That is what keeps us strong. So instead of just steamrolling toward another term, and this is the way it happens, First-term presidents are almost always, re- in fact, I, I would have to go back and really look, but, but I, I dare I say always re-elected to a second term if the economy and, and issues that are important to people on Main Street in, in small-town America 
if things are going well for them, this president gets reelected. And everybody knows it. And that's why you continue to hear. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. And that's why they are taking our pre- the presidency and taking our Constitution and just wiping their be- behinds with it. They are taking this tool for impeachment, which was supposed to be used only in the most extreme circumstances in which our literal security has been threatened because of the illegal actions of a president, none of which has happened here. That's why they are using this tool to undo the will of the American people because they know the American people are enjoying this peace and prosperity. I'm enjoying it. You're enjoying it. Hell, even they are enjoying it as they pledge to destroy it. Which brings me to a story, real briefly, and then I'll go to your calls, which brings me to the story that I teased in the first hour about the Hollywood superstar who is enjoying the fruits of of this uh, of of this country's labor, the capital and his own labor. Let's be honest: the capitalist nation that we are has made Mark Ruffalo a millionaire at least thirty times over. Mark Ruffalo played the Hulk and Doctor David Banner in the Avengers series. Mark Ruffalo is worth an estimated thirty million dollars today. Mark Ruffalo is a living example of what capitalism can do. The opportunity for someone to earn and to not just survive but thrive based on their own efforts, based on their own labors. And Mark Ruffalo doesn't like it. He's worth $30 million thanks to capitalism, but he is a vocal supporter of socialist Bernie Sanders. He complained this week in a tweet that capitalism is what's going to kill America. He linked an article by Time Magazine entitled, How America's Elites Lost Their Grip, and it excoriates, quote, the winners of our new Gilded Age for all this elite failure. If a single cultural idea is upheld, or excuse me, has upheld, the disproportionate power of this class, it has been the idea of the win-win, wrote the Time Magazine editor-at-large. They could get rich and then give back to you win-win. They could run a fund that makes them sizable returns and offered you social returns, too. Win-win. They could sell sugary drinks to children in schools and work on public-private partnerships to improve children's health. Win-win. They could build cutthroat technology uh, monopolies and get credit for serving to connect humanity and foster community. Win-win. And as this seductive idea fizzles out, it raises the possibility that this age of capital, in which money was the ultimate organizing principle of American life, it could actually end. Something could actually replace it. The choice facing Americans is whether we want to be a society organized around money's thirsts, a playground for the whims of billionaires, or whether we wish to be a democracy. Number one, we are not a democracy. And number two, what do you think the answer to that question is? The answer to that question is opportunities for unfettered growth as your own desires would dictate. Capitalism offers people the opportunity to go from from poverty to middle class, from middle class to upper class, from upper, upper class to wealth. That's what capitalism offers everyone an opportunity to do. It has lifted more people out of poverty than any other economic system that any culture has ever employed. 
And yet here we have Hollywood multimillionaires like Mark Ruffalo retweeting and commenting about capitalism being the problem in this country that we need to bring about. So if we lived in Bernie Sanders' socialized America, Mark Ruffalo would be making 12 bucks an hour. Instead, he's making millions of dollars per picture in the Avengers series. These liberal hypocrites do not want to enjoy... Well, let me rephrase. They are enjoying the peace and prosperity that capitalism and President Trump has brought. But in the process of enjoying it, they are decrying the means in which they got it. So I propose this. Liberal Trump haters, liberal socialists, anti-capitalists, start by redistributing your own wealth. Before you call on the American government to confiscate wealth and redistribute it at its whim, start in your own home. Mark Ruffalo, you have $30 million you gained through capitalism. I think you should start redistributing those $30 million. Keep about fifty to 100000 for yourself. Be, you know, be a regular worker. Make fifty to $100,000 a year if you can do it. Give the other $29.5-plus million away. Redistribute it, because I know a lot of people who would love the opportunity to make the money that you've made, to make one one-hundredth of what you make, to make one one-thousandth of what you have made. Start redistributing the money. You want socialism? Practice it. Don't just call for it. Practice it. Otherwise, leave capitalism and the unfettered growth of this economy, of the jobs, of wages in this country, to President Trump and those of us who support him. Todd is calling us from Cleveland. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Todd. Go ahead. Yo, Bob, that's not going to happen. He spends that much money on his trainer and personal chef. So that ain't <laughs> You're happening. You're right. You're right. <laughs> while condemning while condemning the means of, of, uh, of economic uh, production that we have in this country, they gave him that opportunity. Which brings me to why I called you. You are grossly exaggerating and giving credit to Donald Trump to how the economy is rolling. He has okay. not been that strong of a contributor to this. No. But you don't think the lower taxes and the deregulations that have taken the shackles off of businesses and allowed them to grow and expand and hire more people, you don't think that that is, uh, is, is what is driving this, uh, this incredible growth? marginal contribution the economy was rolling before he got before he became the economy was not rolling the economy was crawling todd todd Todd, be 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 intellectually honest the economy was crawling in 2016 when uh when donald trump was elected it was not rolling it was crawling we had minimal growth we had really low wages we had part-time jobs being created not full-time jobs we have now manufacturing jobs that we were told could not be brought back to america without a magic wand what does donald trump have barack obama said some magic wand and boom the answer is apparently so because we are manufacturing now more than we have in 20 years Okay, wait. Don't tell me it was rolling. It wasn't rolling. It was crawling at an anemic rate until President Trump came in and sparked everything, not with stimulus plans, but with tax cuts and deregulation that allowed American businesses to expand. Go ahead. There is a segment of the population in government that believed incorrectly that manufacturing wasn't coming back anytime soon or at all. So that was wrong, weren't they? Yeah, they, they were wrong. They were wrong when they said it, and they knew they were wrong. It, it, there was always space for manuf- space and opportunity for manufacturing to come back. Clean manufacturing, by the way, 
that wasn't high on wasn't high on waste um, distribution. But um, if so we really so, so, so you don't want to so you don't want to give much more than marginal credit to President Trump for this uh, uh, this prosperity that we're enjoying right now. What do you credit for it then, Todd? Well, of the marginal credit that I give, I thought the I thought the um, tax relief was was a pretty good idea. Okay. I really do. The corporate. I was looking at what um, Biden was talking about, saying he wanted to bring the corporate tax, no, the capital gains um, tax up to thirty nine percent versus twenty percent. I don't think that's a good number. I really don't. And so you know, and then the um, tax cuts to the to the bulk of the of the working um, gainfully employed population that um, Trump put in place, which I'm calling tax cuts, but I really don't believe it's a cut unless governments reduce. So, I call it, so it's really a shift. Okay. But let me say this to exit because I wanted to get this in. What's that? What what I would like you to do on this free for all Friday mm-hmm. is to consider bringing somebody on the broadcast to have a real good discussion about teaching unpartisan bias, unreligious bias, civics from third grade to twelfth grade, so people would not be talking so much dumb stuff. I really would like to see that in the taxpayer funded neighborhood public schools. Todd, I like Todd. I will tell you this: um, I I don't know who that person would be, but I like the idea of teaching civics. Absolutely, you know, I would bring somebody on who would agree with me because it wouldn't be a debate. Uh, If somebody wants to teach civics uh, in elementary, junior high, and high school in public schools, I would be all for it, one hundred percent. Um, and you're right. Uh, it, it would have to be nonpartisan or non-biased or non-ideologically driven. Uh, but I, I, the facts. I, yeah, exactly. With 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 the facts. Uh, hey, listen to you. You said junior high is the 21st century, Bob. Come on, it's middle, <laughs> school. It's middle, middle school. Middle school. Middle school. <laughs> fine. Sorry, uh, I'm, I'm still going to call it junior high from time to time. But anyway, I'm with you. I absolutely agree. I think, quite frankly, Todd, I think it's shameful that. Immigrants to this country who want to become citizens of this country have to learn civics, and and native-born American kids don't. I think that's sad. I think it's depressing. I think it's despicable, quite frankly. I'm with you. We should absolutely teach civics. I don't know who I could bring on to debate me, because I would have to bring on somebody who says, no, we don't need to teach civics to Americans, and that would be loony. Right back after this, final segment coming up. segment as always is a short one thanks for being part of the show today let's get a few more people on before we're done tj waiting in cleveland on am 1420 yeah. the answer go ahead tj you know bob i don't think the american people realize the bullet they dodged when trump got elected when i watched that condescending unattractive liberal witch you know and uh, uh that law professor and then i found out she was on hillary's short list to be a supreme court justice now, had Hillary won, yeah, I mean, had Hillary won, right now the Supreme Court would have been stacked six to three with liberal partisan hacks. They would have pushed through every agenda they wanted. We would have been gone. Our Second Amendment would have been gone by now. First Amendment, religious freedom would have been thrown out the window. And I'd like to give Todd a little civic lesson. Economy aside, the most important job a president has is selecting federal judges and Supreme Court judges. And Trump excelled in that. And had he not been elected, the left would have rammed through every one of their commie ideas right through the Supreme Court. Now, that's a civic lesson people ought to understand. When you vote for a president, don't look so much at economy and everything else. His most important job is federal judges. And I give him an A++ for that job, Bob. 
I concur, TJ. That's a very, very important point. People don't talk about that. Nobody talks about it more than Hugh Hewitt does. Hugh Hewitt is constantly on uh, the judiciary and talking about the uh, remaking of the courts. And uh, the president has indeed nominated so many conservative originalists. By the way, and that's important, the difference between conservative judges or Republican-appointed judges and Democrat-appointed judges, it's not that one is an extreme uh, ideology and the other one is, you know, on the flip side of that. The liberal judges are activists, so many of them putting their personal politics and personal beliefs ahead of what the Constitution says. What we demand from our elected or uh, from our appointed judges, from our elected officials, George W. Bush, Donald Trump, and so on and so forth, is not conservative minded who are going to put conservative politics in front of the law and, and, and of the Constitution, but they are just originalists. They're going to interpret the Constitution as it was intended. That is the difference. And you're right. Uh, we, he has done a phenomenal job of remaking so many uh, of these courts. Frank in Brook Park, next, on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Frank. Hi. Hey, uh, tomorrow we remember, recall, World War II beginning tomorrow, and we had four, well, 102,000 average deaths for each of the four years of World War II. Well, we currently... And it was, those were, we were fighting our enemies and losing 102,000 a year. Now we're killing our innocent babies, children, boys and girls at a rate eight to 12 times that. Okay. We've had over 1.3 million at one time in one year versus the 102,000 deaths of World War II. And we invite you to join us at 12,000 Shaker Boulevard tomorrow to pray and plead with the people going into the abortion chambers. Let's stop killing our innocent Americans at 12,000 Shaker Boulevard. I'd like to see you there tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock till noon we'll be there. Frank, a wonderful message as always. And to tie that together with, uh, of course, Pearl Harbor Day tomorrow, commemorating uh, that horrible, horrible day that brought that launched us into World War II, uh, I, I, brilliant. Very, very well done. And I will have to say that I have been uh, negligent today and not reminding everybody because it didn't happen on a weekday. You know, this year's uh, commemoration, December 7th, falls on Saturday. Normally, if this was a weekday when December 7th fell, we would be talking about it at uh, some great length. But uh, but thank you. I have neglected that today, and that's to, uh, to my embarrassment. But thank you for the reminder. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up here with Sister Mary Grace in Old Brooklyn. Sister Mary Grace, go ahead. God's blessings. God's hand is on America. And I'm telling you, we better take it to the bank. Because I'm telling you, when they teach sociology in college and it becomes socialism, this is wicked. That is well said. And I like what you said at the beginning. God's hand is on America. It clearly was in November of 2016. Because I think TJ was right when he said, boy, did we dodge a bullet. Hillary Clinton winning that election would have would have resulted in uh, uh, harpies like uh, that Stanford law professor Carlin, Pamela Carlin, being on the Supreme Court. God was working that day when he guided Americans to vote for Donald Trump. Thanks so much for a great conversation today. Thanks to all of my guests. Thanks to the crew. I hope you have a wonderful, blessed weekend. We'll talk to you Enjoy Monday on the Bob Principle. Silence.